Hello, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, the podcast that connects you to scriptures so that you can learn God's story each week. Uh, my name is Melissa Cooper. I serve as one of the pastors at St. Luke's, and I am excited to carry you into this next week in our 24 and more series, where we ex- we are going to be exploring each of the pillars of our 2024 and beyond strategic vision. Now, this week, we're looking at our vision for more relationships, <laughs> helping us look at how we develop cross-generational mentoring and community within our church and developing those relationships in our community and our neighborhoods, answering that question of how do I have uh, strong connections to people and how do I become part of and create community. Now, we're jumping around each week in this series into different parts of scripture, and our text for this week brings us into the book of Acts. Now, some context for Acts. It's often known as Acts, but that's actually short for the phrase Acts of the Apostles. This book is actually a continuation of the Gospel of Luke, although our Bibles slide the Gospel of John in between them. Uh, But the important thing to know is that Acts picks up after Jesus' resurrection, looking at the now Christian community and asking the question, now what? Who are we going to be? What exactly does it mean to be a Jesus follower post-resurrection? Who are we individually? Who are we collectively? How do we take Jesus' teachings and put them into practice? So a lot of times we look to the book of Acts to give us guidance on how best to be church. And it's an ideal place to look as we consider how to develop community and relationships in a new season and through a new vision. Now, this week's specific text comes from chapter 8, but before we read through that, let me give you just a little bit of context of where we are at in this story of the early church. Now, the practice of the community has been identified for the most part. The apostles have taken the role of leadership among the group, and their work is to pool their resources and then distribute those resources to the community based on what is needed. And the movement has now grown beyond just Jewish followers of Jesus. We have both Jewish and Gentile followers who are part of the group. And we're coming to a point where the community has grown to the point that the apostles are struggling to lead on their own. So they determine that they will keep attending to teaching and equipping, and they identify seven others from the community to oversee the distribution of resources, as well as to go out and share the good news with folks in other communities. And we see that happen a few different places in Acts as the church becomes enlivened in different uh, moments and in different cities and in different people groups. Uh, We start out with the Jerusalem Pentecost. It's the Pentecost story that begins the whole movement, the one that we know the best where the spirit comes in rushing like a wind and uh, everyone hears each other in their own languages. Now, just before this text, uh, in the same chapter, we get the Samaritan Pentecost. We get stories of the Spirit moving for the first time uh, among the Samaritan people. And now we get a Pentecostal story that widens the circle even more. One of our main characters is now an Ethiopian. And after the Spirit leads him to share the good news in Samaria, the Spirit guides Philip, one of the seven, into territory and relationships even farther on the margins. So let's dig into our text from today. And we're going to go section by section. We'll be in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Here we find Philip hearing a call from the Holy Spirit. 
An angel from the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Now, meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem, where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage, and the spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Now, first, we have to highlight that Philip is following the spirit. She has taken him into places he never would have expected, and this time she's leading him down a desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Philip is paying attention to the spirit's callings, and this time the spirit has led him somewhere that is literally margin, a road in the middle between places to meet someone who is also an in-between kind of person. And so we're introduced to our other key character here, an Ethiopian eunuch. This is someone who's in a position of influence and power, a government official in Ethiopia. And he's returning from worshiping in Jerusalem and reading from Isaiah. So this implies that he has come to some kind of faith in Jewish teachings. However, because of his ethnicity, and his sexual status as a eunuch, he most likely would have uh, discovered that when he got to Jerusalem to worship, he would have been excluded from worship in the temple because of his identity. He's truly a person in the margins, politically powerful and connected, but limited in how he is allowed to practice in his religion. So it's important to notice that Philip is not guided by the Spirit to meet him in Jerusalem. That would have probably been easier. Now, the Spirit has Philip meet him on a desert road, an in-between space. We see that the idea that seekers will find God when they show up to the community is being challenged. It wasn't the big church event he attended. It was a personal interaction the Spirit had in mind. It was a personal interaction between two very different people, different races, different ethnicities. And as one writer put it, uh, one was a wandering faith healer of an upstart religious movement, Philip. The other, a royal court official and a sexual minority excluded from temple worship in Jerusalem. And yet God sends Philip to seek out the strange stranger. So we see this. We see the spirit sending Philip out away from the center into a marginal space to meet a marginal person. So let's see what happens next. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you really understand what you were reading? The man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? And then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. Now let's pause here again, because on the surface, Philip's approach seems a little abrasive. I don't know that that is the line I would recommend leading with. Do you know understand what you know what you're reading? But here's what we see in Philip's question, as well as the Ethiopian's answer. Because the question of understanding from Philip identifies that he knows. He knows that the truth 
in Scripture is more than just a written statement. It acknowledges that Scripture alone is not sufficient, and there's need for relational connection for full understanding, both in the sense of teaching from one who has studied more, as well as the acknowledgement that the Word is best revealed when we read together and share our own experiences. And the response shows that the Ethiopian's faith knows this already, and a desire for deeper understanding and connection Um, He knows that a guide is essential to fully grasping the meaning of what he is reading and the possibility of it coming alive in a new way when read together. We also get the confirmation that the Ethiopian knows he didn't get everything he needed in Jerusalem. He still has questions. And we might infer that he was not able to find a guide there, whether because of his exclusion or otherwise. We know that eunuchs were forbidden to enter the temple in Jerusalem for worship, and so by juxtaposing the words worship and eunuch, the narrator perhaps imagines um, that the Ethiopian's recent uh, rejection from worship has triggered a theological crisis over his future in the household of Israel. The conflict that's inferred by this story is that this pious new believer who seeks to know God's purposes more fully has been excluded from the very religious community whose resources would illumine his quest. But in the midst of that, this person understands some key concepts. The importance of scripture in his search for God and the importance of someone who can help interpret its meaning. Now, we would do well to take a note here that in contrast to much of Protestant Christianity, especially since the Enlightenment, there is a broad assumption or even at times a doctrine that if we can read the words on the page, then we can understand them, that we can interpret it plainly with no need for interpretation. Luke doesn't agree here. So let's see what this experience looks like as the Ethiopian now begins to read scripture with his newfound guide in Philip. Beginning in verse 32, this was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? And starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. Now, the man is reading what we refer to from Isaiah as the prophecy of the suffering servant, one that's most often connected with Jesus' crucifixion. And so Philip makes that connection for the man. He proclaims the good news of who this prophecy is talking about. But what exactly was the good news for this Ethiopian? Why was this particular passage, or the Isaiah text as a whole, so important and moving to him? Well, the passage we find he is reading, um, it's from Isaiah 53. Now, if we look a few verses later in what we know as chapter 56, um, we hear a prophetic word that would have been incredibly powerful to this foreigner and religious outcast. 
from chapter 56. It says, The Lord says, Act justly and do what is righteous, because my salvation is coming soon, and my righteousness will be revealed. Don't let the immigrant who has joined with the Lord say, The Lord will exclude me from the people. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. The Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, choose what I desire and remain loyal to my covenant. In my temple and courts, I will give them a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give to them an enduring name that won't be removed. My house will be known as a prayer, as a house of prayer for all peoples, says the Lord God, who gathers Israel's outcasts. I will gather still others to those I have already gathered. This foreigner and eunuch who has found faith in God but rejection by the temple is reading a text that specifies his inclusion in God's promises. And we come upon him reading a prophecy about who is going to bring that about. So Philip is able to connect the dots for him. To connect that the suffering servant he's reading about has come and is Jesus. The good news is that he has come and the inclusion that this Ethiopian eunuch looks forward to in God's family is here and now. So let's see what happens next. As they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt. Both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Lord's spirit suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself in Azotus and he traveled through that area, preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. Now at this point, uh, Philip probably thinks he's done some really good work. He has gotten to share the good news with the, this man. He had the answer that he was looking for. The job is probably about done. But then the rest of the story is where the Ethiopian man becomes the driving force. It's clear that the Holy Spirit has not just been nudging and speaking to Philip. It appears even more apparently when they come upon this water and so the eunuch is the one, not Philip, who initiates the idea of baptism. Because Philip really has no framework for this moment. This is all new territory. But he goes ahead and follows the Spirit's calling, and he agrees. And so they go together to the water. Now, Philip is the one who baptizes the eunuch, but we can't deny what the eunuch has done for Philip as well. Now, while Philip certainly was an agent of conversion for the eunuch, we know that this is also a story of Philip's conversion as well. While he had already been part of the Spirit's movement into new communities, this encounter took the good news into a whole new place. Not just in the life of a single Ethiopian, not just in the life of a eunuch, but all of this is happening located in a fully marginal place, not in Jerusalem, not in a synagogue, not at a special event, but just in a personal relationship along the road. 
And in this mutual moment of liberation, two people are transformed. Two people ask questions. Both have something to reveal to one another. At the end of the story, we see the spirit moving Philip along to his next destination almost abruptly. You see, this relationship wasn't designed for a lifetime, but for two people who had what the other needed in a marginal space in each of their lives, in a marginal moment, in a marginal place. So what do we hear? What do we hear in this story that gives us some clues about how we might be called as a community to develop real relationships in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our friend groups and our community as a whole? Well, first, what we see is a decentralization of God's movement. The most powerful transformations by the Spirit don't always or don't even often happen in an institutional place or space. In our terms, Uh, The Spirit is likely going to draw us out of the church's walls, outside of worship experiences. Um, The Spirit wants us to meet people in marginal spaces who need to hear their own version of the good news. This encounter shows us that the center is just that, a center. But it's designed to be expanded, crossing unexpected boundaries into places that even seemed impossible. The eunuch was not only one of the first non-Jewish converts, he didn't even fall in the more recently familiar Jewish-Gentile dichotomy. He was truly other. As one writer put it, the other of others. (laughs) There's also a takeaway here about religious structures of knowledge and power. You see, the eunuch went to Jerusalem and studied the scripture, but the real enlivenment of those experiences and learning came in a personal encounter with someone who was not an apostle. See, the idea of religious leaders as the center of faith discovery is being challenged here. Within the first few chapters of this text describing the beginning of the church, the apostles let go of their role as arbiters of God and commissioned the community to do that work under their guidance and teachings. But the real work was done by the community. This means that the be-all, end-all of how God's work is done is not what happens in worship or as we pastors preach or teach. Even here from the earliest of days, God's best and most expansive work happened through the followers of the way. You see, most of the proclamation of God's good news then and now happens between people along the road, often in the margins of our world and our lives. Philip didn't plan his encounter out. He he didn't have an agenda. Um, He didn't have a checklist. He trusted what he had learned. And he followed the Spirit's lead to come alongside someone on his journey. Just along the road. And he wasn't afraid to confess his faith when he was asked about it. So I hope that you will join us this Sunday as we look more closely at this text and we see what Philip's transformation has to teach us about how we are being called to expand God's boundaries and come alongside people in marginal places and along the road in faith today.